0: This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WT Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. What I found is that I just love starting companies, and I really love working with entrepreneurs is my guest's response to the question, what fuels you? My guest today is Melissa Widner. Melissa is the CEO of Lighter Capital, the pioneer and leader in revenue-based financing for tech startups, founders, and companies. Seattle-based Lighter Capital is backed by National Australia Bank and Silicon Valley Bank, as well as USVCs. Previously, Melissa was the Managing Director of NAB Ventures, the VC arm of the National Australia Bank, and a general partner at Seattle-based Seapoint Ventures. She was the founder and CEO of Seven Software, a Silicon Valley-based enterprise software company acquired by Concur. She was also the CEO of Northwest Industrial Supply and is the co-founder and chairperson of Sydney-based Heads Over Heels, an organization that supports women entrepreneurs running companies with high growth potential. In this episode, we'll discuss the benefits of revenue-based financing, the options founders have when seeking funding. The advantages and disadvantages of different types of funding sources, what it means to bootstrap a business, and why founders are doing so, and the hallmarks of success for a bootstrap business. Melissa, welcome to the WTF podcast.
1: Thank you, Michelle. I'm excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Happy to have you. And I really love your response to the question about what fuels you that you really love starting companies and love working with entrepreneurs. And part mm-hmm. of why I do this podcast is I love talking to entrepreneurs and, and, and also investors who are making the work of those entrepreneurs possible. And it seems as if you are really into making sure that you are building and supporting that ecosystem for entrepreneurship to thrive. And so I'm really excited to speak with you, particularly about Revenue-based financing. So, tell me about your experience as a VC investor and now as CEO of Lighter Capital.
1: Yeah, well, I became a VC after I was an entrepreneur, and I had a uh, I ran two companies that both had very successful exits. And when I became a VC, um, I realized that you know successful exits do have a lot to do with timing and luck because I had backed a lot of um, companies that you know were were run by smarter people than I am that worked longer and harder and maybe didn't have those successful exits. But um, the piece I loved about being a VC is getting to work with and help the entrepreneurs. Um, The difficult part about being a VC is that you're constantly saying no. You know, VCs really only fund 1% of deals that they look at. So I was meeting um, pretty regularly with companies who were great companies. They were maybe close to profitable. They were growing at a nice clip, but, you know, I couldn't really fund them because they weren't going to be a unicorn or they weren't an exact strategic fit for us. So, um, it, you know, constantly saying no to entrepreneurs as a VC. And I, I got involved in lighter because national Australia bank, along with Silicon Valley bank invested in lighter in 2018. And I went on their board at that time and then became their CEO In 2020. And what's fantastic about it is that when we see, you know, we can fund lots of companies as long as they meet our our minimum criteria, we can provide them with funding and advice and help for them to grow their businesses. And it's the funding is in a very friendly way, it's non dilutive.
0: So, talk about that. In terms of it being friendly and the difference between the different types of of funding that's available. Revenue based is clearly they're not giving up any equity. And so what should what's the major advantage for for founders to pursue revenue-based financing versus VC or other types of financing that's available?
1: Well, I I say, let's say you're an entrepreneur and you have a company and you want to raise a million dollars. You need to raise a million dollars to take you to that next level or two million or, you know, pick a number. And you have the opportunity to raise that million dollars in either debt or equity. So you have the opportunity to raise it with, you know, revenue-based financing from like lighter capital or venture financing. You should always, always, always take debt unless, because debt you're not going to give away any, any equity, but the times where you shouldn't, um, take debt over equity, is if that equity is going to come with help, the, the, enough help to grow your business that it's worth giving away that chunk of your business. So for example, if you bring on board a, a VC and you're giving them 20% of the company and some control, but the, the help and doors they're going to open is going to create more than 20%, you know, increase the value of your company by more than 20%, then it, then it makes sense. Um, And you should also maybe take equity over debt if the debt is going to be difficult to service. And if it potentially puts the company at risk, you know, if you put you in a scenario where you can't service the debt that it, you know, it could put the company in a in a tough situation. So the nice thing about revenue based financing is we provide funding to companies and the payback is based on a percentage of their revenue until the loan is paid back in full so the way that it would work is we provide a dollar and then we typically are, are providing funding for three years so over three years a company would pay back depending on their risk profile somewhere between a dollar uh, thirty and a dollar forty over 3 years. And you know if they take it for say 1 year it would be maybe a dollar 8 or a dollar 9. But companies usually want money for a longer period of time so that they have lower payments. But we provide you with a dollar and we say Michelle we're going to give you a dollar you're going to pay us back a dollar 35 and you're going to pay us a percentage of your revenue until you hit that dollar 35. And we model Uh, we model, we predict what we think your revenues are going to be, and we model it. So you'll have that paid back in three years. And if you grow faster or you get acquired, that's wonderful for us. And it's great for you. You don't pay back more, but you pay it back faster. Um, And we don't take any control Um, And like you mentioned, we don't take equity. So we basically provide funding that's very friendly. And then we help the companies in other ways. We help them with, we've funded close to um, 500 companies and done over a thousand rounds of financing now. And we help the companies not only with funding, but when they do want to go and raise their venture round, we help them, we help them do that. And then we also just help them with connections to other entrepreneurs in the ecosystem.
0: So, revenue based financing might be a better option if they're not yet sort of VC ready, but they still need capital to grow.
1: So Absolutely. I could, yeah. And because we've done so many rounds of financing, and we've seen everything, but I would say there's a subset of our companies that are never going to be VC backable, but they're good companies and they need growth capital. And they're not VC backable because their TAM, their total addressable market just isn't large enough. And we know VCs are unicorn hunters. So we have several companies in our portfolio that are are nice, you know, companies that'll grow to the millions and 10 millions of dollars in revenue, but they, you know, they're not going to be VC backable because they don't, they're not in a large enough market. So, you know, prior to revenue-based financing, these companies had very little options because banks won't lend to companies that That aren't profitable or don't have hard assets or where the founders are going to provide personal guarantees. So that's the one subset ones that will maybe never be VC backable. And then we have a lot of companies in our portfolio that use us in the early days. And then go on and get VC funding. Um, One example is, uh, well, we have a couple, we have several, but DBT Labs is one that we provided them with their first $240,000 of financing. It was non-dilutive. They were able to grow the company and get a lot of traction with with that money. And they went on to raise a $5 million round from Andreessen Horowitz. And then they went on to raise a $30 million round from Sequoia and they've raised another round since then. And now they're a unicorn. So they were able to use our money in the early stages where they maybe couldn't, they didn't have enough traction to attract a top tier VC. Another one of our companies is Red Route. Um, They're actually based in New York. Uh, Great company. They have a, a, a sort of CRM enhancement tool and they, they, raised money from us when they were about a million and a half in revenue. And when they got to 3 million in revenue, they were ready to do a VC round. So we helped them with them. We helped them with their pitch deck. We made some introductions and now they're backed by, by VCs, but they were able to grow their, their valuation by quite a bit with non-dilutive capital before they went out and raised from VCs.
0: So for entrepreneurs who are fundraising, what do they need to better understand to evaluate what their options are, right? Because you talked about VCs sort of looking for companies that could be potential unicorns because they're looking to maximize return on investment. So how do entrepreneurs maybe self-evaluate? Like, where am I along this spectrum and what should I be giving my attention to in terms of the types of funding that I'm looking for so that I'm not wasting my time and barking up the wrong tree and I'm finding the right places that fit where I am as a business?
1: Well, so we will lend up to four times revenue, four times monthly revenue for a smaller company and up to six times revenue for a larger company, six times monthly revenue. So if you take a company that's doing $100,000 a month in revenue we could provide them with $400,000 of growth capital and if if you're a company that's doing 100,000 a month and you need that $10 million to really take it to the next level then then your option your really your only option is going to be equity because you're not going to be able to to you know take on debt and support it at that level, so so that's one thing is to evaluate how much do you need and how much do you need right now. Um, and if what you need right now is something that could be supportive with debt, then this is potentially a good path to go down. And that's if you think about our product, we can provide four to six times your monthly recurring revenue. So if that's enough to get you to the next stage, whether the next stage is profitability or just the next stage of growth or grow from a venture. Uh, or go and um, obtain funding from a venture capital firm it would be a good option but if you're going to need more than that then you you know you might go down the venture route and, and I should say we have a we have um, we often are alongside angel investors and seed stage fund investors when we come in so if you think about a company that's raising say two million dollars uh, they might be able to raise a million from A seed fund or from angels, and then they'll supplement it with our million dollars. And it's not only good from a dilution standpoint for the founder, but it's also really good for the other investors because the other investors end up owning a bigger chunk of the company if that dilution doesn't come in. Um, And then, lastly, on the VC point, um, especially these days, with because uh, valuations have been compressed recently. Um, we are seeing a lot of companies use our capital for in-between venture rounds. So if you think of a company that raised a year ago in 2021 when, you know, you were getting when public ARR multiples are were 10, 10x plus, and today they've gone to, you know, half or below half of that to around five times. And you saw private companies getting ARR multiples of anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20, 30 times, and those multiples have come down significantly. And so that means even companies that uh, did really well, if they raised a year ago, they might be going into a flat or a down round, even companies that performed. And nobody wants to do a down round. So what we're seeing these days is a lot of people, um, you, a lot of venture back companies using our capital as an alternative to funding because there's it's really easy. It's fast. It takes like 10 minutes to fill out the application. If you're a slow typer and you can get funding and literally if everything goes quickly in days. Um so compared to a venture round where, you know, you're going to be spending, you know, usually months and, and hours and hours of your time raising raising that round.
0: No, those sound like very good uh you know, boxes to tick. Okay, 10 minutes and not having round after round of conversations and still maybe get a no. Yeah. You know, and you know that, okay, it's also even quicker more simpler than going to the bank. And as you said, banks aren't really <laughs> funding entrepreneurs. So it mm-hmm. seems like revenue-based financing might be a great option for lots of entrepreneurs, especially as the, the way the market's going right yeah. now, or at least the, the funding ecosystem. So I'm speaking with Melissa Whitner, experienced investor and founder, about revenue-based financing and other forms of capital for founders, including bootstrapping and the hallmarks of success for a bootstrap business. So let's transition to talk about bootstrapping. What does it mean to bootstrap a business, and why are founders doing so?
1: Well, a lot of times founders are doing so because it's their only option. So you'll find a lot of, there's a lot of great um, examples of large companies that were bootstrapped either all the way through or just bootstrapped at Um, you know, the early stage. And a lot of times what you'll hear from those founders is that they tried to raise equity. They tried to raise VC funding and weren't able to get it. Um, So to bootstrap a company means to fund it, you know, on your own or through revenues um, versus taking on um, external capital and and giving away some ownership. And we have, you know, of course, lots of those in our portfolio. We have uh, one of our companies. Um, they raised a little bit of angel money, got to three million. They weren't able to raise VC, got to three million in annual recurring revenue. And they saw that they were on a rocket ship. They were doing really well. And they didn't want to take VC money at that time and, and dilute when they, they, they really thought their revenues were going to increase significantly. They saw what was happening. So they took two million dollar rounds from us and grew their revenue, this is a company called Seamless AI, which is a great product, by the way, they, um, they grew revenues from $3 million to over $20 million dollars. So and then went on and did a private a large private equity round. So the founders of that company, um, who are a fantastic couple, Danielle and Brandon, they will say they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars more personally because they took money from Lighter Capital when their company was at three million instead of taking money from venture at that stage and giving away that equity.
0: Yeah, I recently had a conversation with the founder and CEO of GiveLify, which is a giving app, about how he struck out trying to raise VC funds and how he bootstrapped, how difficult it was. His, his advice is to actually, if you can get external capital, take it, that yeah. it was difficult, but he's glad that he didn't because that bootstrap life was not easy. Right. And now GiveLify has gone on to process over $3 billion in in, in, in in donations and giving. And now VCs are coming to him and he's like, right. that's, that's the life that I know. I'm not even sure I, I want that money now right? Because you've become so adept at
1: at bootstrapping. Well, and VCs can, I mean, I was a VC for almost two decades. VCs can be very helpful if you get the right VC that's aligned with your vision. Um, They can open lots of doors and provide lots of connections and sometimes good advice. But, you know, they can also... um, they can also be harmful to companies. So especially when you have, I saw this a lot, especially in down markets, VCs tend to be a lot friendlier in up markets. But um, if you have multiple VCs uh, on your cap table and on your board, and they aren't always aligned, it can be you know, extremely um, problematic for the company and for the entrepreneur.
0: Talk about the importance of alignment and what are hmm. some of the downfalls when there is no alignment, when that wasn't a big part of the consideration going into the relationship and
1: then it becomes problematic. No, it's no, ex- exactly. So, um, and I saw this a lot. I started my VC career in 2000 and then we had the dot-com crash and then there was the GFC. So, you know, uh, typically an entrepreneur would think it's great. To get VC money. And the more, the better. And the more the VCs I have on my uh, on my um, cap table and maybe on my board to support my growth, the better. But, um, you know, it does get tough, especially when things aren't going well and people have different ideas. Your, your investors have different ideas for the strategy of the company. And where I really saw some things not go well uh, for companies was when they had VCs that were, um, that had different goals because they had different, Fund sizes. So, if you're you've got one VC that's in a small fund and maybe in their their they haven't raised a fund recently, they're going to encourage the company to be really capital efficient. And then, if you've got a VC that's got a large larger fund and has raised a new fund and is really trying to deploy capital, they're encouraging the entrepreneur to you know go hard, which you know take a lot of risk, spend a lot of money, um, and and that's very difficult. I mean, look, running a, a company, a startup company has got to be one of the hardest jobs in the world. So when you throw on... You know, you've done it. I, <laughs> so I've done it. Experience. And, I, and yeah. I'm doing it now. I didn't found lighter, but it, but it is. Starting a company, I mean... Ugh, you know, and, and look, that's a whole other discussion, but, you know, entrepreneurs are, are the lifeblood of our of our economy, right? And it's very, very difficult, and most people um, won't do it because it's so difficult. It takes a special kind of person to actually put themselves out there and do that. But so you, you give them that very hard, they have that very hard task anyway, and then you combine it with, you know, people that do have some control over you because they're your investors, they're on your board, you know, giving you different pieces of advice, it makes it very difficult. And, and oftentimes, you know, these are typically pretty smart people, but oftentimes they have no, in, no experience in your industry. And they, a lot of times, don't even have experience running a company.
0: Considering you've been on both sides, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs as they're fundraising about how they should approach their fundraising strategy? with whoever or whatever type of funding they're looking for? What are things that they should just really be aware of and beyond the money? Because the right. money isn't everything, right? Because you can take the money and you're, you end up in this relationship that's really not working out. So what are the things that they should really be cognizant of? And from wearing both your entrepreneurship hat and your your investor hat?
1: Well, first, you know, decide what how much you need to get to that next stage and, and put a little bit of cushion in in case things don't go right. Um, for companies that are bootstrapping and just raising money to fuel growth, you know, they're really in a much better position because they don't need money for survival. Um, a lot of companies, especially on the VC VC side, they, they need money for survival. Like they have to be constantly raising money because they they need money just for the company to exist. They don't have, you know, the revenue to support the cost structure. Um, but so first deciding what kind of funding you need. And then once you've decided whether that's debt or equity or a combination of both, going out and finding the best partner. And And at the end of the day, money is money. So what are you going to get Besides the money, you know, is the money going to be helpful? Is it going to be hurtful? So, if you think about, um, you know, I can talk about from lighter side. We have, you know, we have the best people to talk about for what it's like to work with us. Is our, our former customers. And I think one of the reasons I, I was excited and, and put my hat in the ring when we were looking for a new CEO is I've just never been involved in a company whose customers love them as much as Lighter's customers love Lighter. And it's because we give them funding. We make it easy. A lot of them have already been trying to do this and, and had a really difficult time. And then we just help them. And we don't take control. We don't go on their board. So um, so it, it, it creates a great relationship. So look about, look at what you can get beyond the money. From you know whether it's a debt provider or a an equity provider, and if you're looking at a VC or even an angel, and especially if you're giving them um, a board seat or any other control, make sure to talk to others that they've invested in, and and not not ones that they give you, you know, not references that they've provided, but, you know, go talk to as many people as you can, who they've worked with and invested in to find out what it's like to work with them because it's a, you know, it is a marriage and oftentimes it's a very long-term marriage.
0: What advice do you have for bootstrappers?
1: Um, well, it depends on the company, but for bootstrappers, uh, it really would just depend on the company and the situation. Like I said, a lot of times companies are bootstrapping because that's the only choice they have. They, they don't have, they've maybe tried to raise capital, but um, the, so I guess it depends specifically on the situation in terms of general advice for bootstrappers. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So what do you feel are the hallmarks of success for a bootstrap business?
1: Um, Well, being able to bootstrap, first of all, being able to fund your operations and grow your operations with funding. And like I've said, there's so many great examples. Pardo in um, Atlanta is one that bootstrapped to become, you know, worth over a billion dollars. We have a great example in Australia. I spent half my time in Australia at Lassian. Although they're venture backed, they actually got to 50 million in revenue before they became venture-backed. So they really were a bootstrapped company. And when you are bootstrapped, um, you are focused on what's most important, which is customers and revenue, because you have to be. You don't really have a choice and you have to focus. You know, there's not sort of endless, you know, sometimes when a a huge VC round comes in, there's um, companies can lose focus because they have, they have, resources to chase everything. So uh, I, I I often find bootstrap companies are just have a much uh, tighter focus in terms of what's important and where they need to spend their time to grow the business.
0: Before we wrap up, I would like to talk about heads over heels.
1: Give you an idea. that's one to of my about. favorite topics. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. So Heads Over Heels was founded, um, I founded it um, along with um, a few other co-founders, Janet Menzies and Sarah Lucas and Alex Burrell in Australia. And it was founded in 2010 to support women entrepreneurs running companies with high growth potential. And the support specifically is about plugging those um, women into a network that can help them grow their businesses so I was part of an organization when I founded Seven Software in Silicon Valley called um, Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, and it was hugely helpful for me when I was when I as a as a young founder. And you know, they had all kinds of educational programs. Um, but what I found the most helpful was just the doors that it opened up and the connections I made. So what we tried to do at Seven at um Heads Over Heels is we try to Accelerate those connections and basically the specific connections that um, our women um, women leaders need to grow their business. And the whole thesis behind, um, you know, behind the the organization is that women are actually women start lots of businesses, but they don't grow them at the same rate as their male counterparts. And one of the reasons is they don't have access to the same networks. So what Heads Over Heels does our We call them not members, but connectors. Our connectors are both men and women that are senior business leaders that are just willing to open up these networks to female entrepreneurs because they want to see some of the numbers change as well. So, um, the way it works is it's a selective process to become a heads over heels CEO. And once you're in the heads over heels portfolio, Um, You will pitch to our um, connectors and the pitch is, here's what my business is doing. And here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for introductions to banks. Okay. We have a bunch of senior level bank executives that'll just make the introduction. It doesn't guarantee you're going to get a sale to that bank, but we, you know, Michelle, a warm introduction can save years of time and it can actually make all the difference. So after, you know, we've been going for heads over heels has been going, it's a not-for-profit charges nothing to the entrepreneurs it's completely supported by our sponsors but um we've now had you know there's just so many examples of um these connections that have I was going um, to ask you to share a few Eugene of Patch. those examples oh, yeah, yeah yeah oh there's so many good ones so one of them um is a company called Expense Manager that's run by an entrepreneur named Sharon New. Expense Manager has a software product that sells to mid-market companies to help them with their, to automate their payables, basically automate their payables and help with their expenses. And um, she'd been running this company for years. I think at the time she came to Heads Over Heels, maybe four or five people, you know, they had a, a bunch of customers completely bootstrapped. She had been trying to get a partnership with a company called Myob that's um, one of the uh, largest um, uh, accounting platforms in Australia for mid-market businesses. So um, kind of like a QuickBooks, but a little bit upmarket. And um, she been, she just couldn't get into the right place. And she pitched it Heads Over Heels, and she asked for a bunch of different connections. And entrepreneurs will usually come away with sort of 40 or 50 introductions when they pitch. And one of them was an, uh, an offer to make an introduction to the CEO of Myob, and the person who offered to make the introduction, uh, Naomi Simpson, she made the introduction to the CEO of MyOb, Tim Reed. Because the intro came from Naomi Simpson, who's one of the Heads Over Heels connectors, he responded right away. Naomi said, Hey, here's this great company that's trying to get a partnership into MyOb. You know, there was a blurb about the company. Tim responded right away and said, Oh, yeah, this looks interesting. Talk to my XYZ head of partnerships. So Sharon, the CEO of Expense Manager, Got that meeting with my abs. She'd been banging her head against the wall trying to get a meeting with the right person for years. But because Tim Reed, the CEO, you know, Made that intro. She got the meeting, got the partnership, and her revenue grew tenfold in a year. And a lot of that has to do with Mayob. And Myob needed her too. This was a really good thing for Mayob. It I'm was just sure she found the opportunity the right for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the um, that's the magic of it. And you think about the work it took for our connector Naomi Simpson, who actually you know she's a pretty busy woman. She's like one of the sharks on Shark Tank in Australia. The work it took for her to do that was. Um, I don't know, a minute, you know, Sharon kind of helped craft the email and she just sent an email. So she was able to make a huge impact for that female led company with very little, um, you know, very little time or effort required on her side. And that's the importance of access,
0: right? And who you have access access. to and who they have access to. Yeah. And I
1: noticed the work that you do, um, uh in africa and it was really interesting because one of um one of the our attendees at heads over heels who's who's from africa said you know this could really work this isn't just about females it's sort of it, it, this this platform could work for any group that doesn't have the same access to grow their business any group of entrepreneurs and you know this this so you know it, it's, it's something about that heads creating, over heels include,
0: potentially yeah. about creating inclusive access because there are some people Absolutely. who have more access than others and recognizing that that's so and being intentional about creating a platform where you give people who need access, access to people who can help them to get where they want to go. Because like you said, Sharon had been banging her head against the wall trying to get this introduction. And all it took was a few minutes and an email and there she goes like
1: $10 million later, you know? Yeah. 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 So we had, there's like, there's example after example. And, and to be clear, like most of the introductions maybe end up in nothing, but you know, if one or two ends up being game changing for the company. But it's a numbers game, right? Like, Absolutely. sometimes,
0: you know, even when dating, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you kiss a yeah. prince. So it's the same thing. you have to talk right. a lot to a lot of investors and potential whatever's before you actually get to something that works. Yeah. So it's not different. I mean, if you're fundraising, you're talking to a lot of people. Most of them, those conversations are not going to go anywhere. They're not going to lead to a deal, but you're starting off with the potential, right? And you never know where a conversation right. can go if you never have it. So that's yeah. the importance of that. Before we conclude, Melissa, what do you love most about what you do?
1: Oh, I have such a great job because I get to work with the most fascinating people on the planet, entrepreneurs, and I get to help them. And um, it, is, it is just a huge privilege. And we get to see their success and um, be like a tiny piece of it. And it's, it's just so rewarding. It's very rewarding to be a maximizer
0: of other people's potential when you have the opportunity and the potential to do that.
1: So I can understand. I haven't heard like that before. I like it. A maximizer of other people's potential. I think I'm going to use that. That it is. It's just so true. It, Feel free. It is, um, credited to me. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> yeah, you should trademark that. Um, but but that it's it, it is. Um, it's just, it is, like I said, it's just an absolute privilege to to work with and help the most fascinating people on the planet.
0: Well, it was a pleasure having you on the WTF podcast, Melissa. Thank you so much for stopping by.
1: Can you Thank you tell, for having me, Michelle. You
0: are welcome. Tell the listeners where they can get more information about LIDAR, where to go sign up. If they've got 10 minutes and they're looking for uh,
1: equity-free financing, where where should they go? So lightercapital.com, um, lightercapital.com slash apply. We actually have a prequal that takes 45 seconds where you just answer a few questions and it'll tell you if you might be a fit. So for our capital now or potentially later. So it's very, very simple. And where can they find lighter on socials? Um, we are on LinkedIn and also on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. So but at Lighter Capital very simple to find and Outlighter Capital on Twitter.
0: Simple enough. Thank you so much, Melissa. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. And if you like this episode, make sure that you rate, review, share, and all that good stuff. New episodes stream on Fridays on the Alive Podcast Network. So make sure that you subscribe on the Alive Podcast Network or on your favorite platform, such as Apple Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. To be a guest or to sponsor the podcast, send an email to where's the funding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at where's the funding underscore podcast. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie, on LinkedIn. Join me next week.